And, uh, and honestly, uh, it has been a tremendous blessing um, to, to probably all of us here who have gotten to go over after the service and to share with coffee and snacks and, and get to know each other and share a little bit of our lives and, and be encouraged. And, and there's so many serious, really important conversations that end up happening over there afterwards. And, and in, my, in my mind, it's always about the sermon. No, I'm just kidding. It's never. Uh, it's always about stuff going on in people's lives where they, they need help, where they need prayer, where they're um, uncertain of kind of stuff going on in their life, and, and they just need someone to talk to. And, and the hospitality, while they actually don't oversee those conversations, they're the ones creating those conversations. Uh, so it's a super important thing. Uh, if you would like to help out, that would be great. Okay, you can turn to Exodus chapter 6. But before I read that, uh, so I don't forget at the end of the service, I have a little letter that I'm going to read to you. But I need to explain the letter really quickly first. Is we have a fella in our church named Eric. Eric is sitting over here in the checkered shirt beside my wife. Um, and Eric has been part of our church for a few months now. But today is his last Sunday here. Uh, he is he is moving, moving on. Um, and that's living in Banff. That's a normal thing. And so sometimes we, we do highlight certain people uh, that are moving on. And there's a very specific reason that we're going to do this this morning. Um, Eric showed up at church because he showed up on a hike and ran into a couple of people from our church who encouraged him to come right in the midst of kind of a, a pretty difficult situation. Uh, and I'm going to read the letter that, that Eric's written for us here. But it's just that reminder that you never know the impact that you can have in just a two-minute conversation. And then you as a church family, you never know the impact that you're going to have on someone who is only here maybe a few months. And so I just want to read this as an encouragement to you as our church, uh, to an, as an encouragement to Eric as he goes, and so that we can remain faithful to pray for him in the midst of this. So this is what Eric has written for us. He says, this is my last Sunday here. I have to go home and take care of some pressing matters. Uh, I'm so glad that I met Peyton on my first hike here in the beautiful mountains after spending 81 days in the University of Alberta Hospital. She took the time to speak to me and invited me to come to a warm and welcoming place, and Banff Park Church has certainly become that for me. I now believe that God was speaking to me through Peyton to help me deal with some of the very difficult issues in my life. Here I've learned that instead of asking for my pain to end, I need to pray for the strength to endure it. And God has certainly given me that. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and now believe that whatever I have to endure, it's God's will, even if I don't understand it. However, I do see things with more clarity now. I have enjoyed being here with all of you and the many acts of kindness that you have shown me. I will continue to follow your church services online. And finally, I want to thank Pastor Greg for all of his sermons, which always seem to speak directly to me and for connecting me to a church in Stony Plain that hopefully will be as warm and welcoming for, for me as all of you have been here. Thank you very much, Eric. Eric, thank you. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure to have you with us, and I know the journey has not been easy, but it fits so well with what we've been talking about in, in Exodus here, is we have plans and we have ideas and we have things of how we think life's going to go, and God has far greater purposes. He, he's zooming out and seeing the macro view and through you know a simple conversation that Peyton and her friends had and the courage to say to say hey you should come to Banff Park Church we now have a brother in the Lord and that is there's nothing greater 
that we could celebrate as a church. So Eric, thank you for your faithfulness to us, for all your volunteer. We're going to miss you on Tuesdays and Fridays. And those of you who have played chess against Eric, he is the most gracious chess teacher that exists uh, because he will let you win all the time at the beginning. Uh, and, and then he'll turn it on later on. But Eric, thank you. It's been really, really good to have you here. Uh, let's just pray real quick for Eric as he goes, and then we'll jump into Exodus. God, thank you for this new faithful brother in our church. And we know that as he goes off to Stony Plain again, that we know that you have continued, you are sovereign over this whole situation. You have brought him here for a time, and now you are sending him off to continue that journey. And so God, we pray that he would be faithfully committed to reading scripture, to praying, and following along with all the things that are happening in your church, both here and in Stony Plain. We are excited for what lies ahead for him. Would we continue to pray for him in these upcoming weeks as he goes through the challenging situations that are in front of him? We thank you that he has hope and that he faces all of these things, not alone, but in the strength of Jesus. Go with him in these moments. We, we are so thankful for his blessing to us. Amen. You know, being in Banff is just, it's so cool. You just never know what's going to happen. And, and to, uh, the last month, Shayla shared with kind of the website and the design stuff, is that we're a church that we receive people, we equip them, and then we commission them off. And, and it's so exciting to see when people come to us and, and we get to just share that little bit of journey of faith uh, with them. And, and so, again, like I, I've said it already, but it's just so important, is you never know, even in one conversation, what might happen in someone's life. So constantly be looking for ways in which God can use you for, uh, to impact the people that, that, that do come here and that are part of our family for whether that's one Sunday morning or whether that's months or years. All right, let's, uh, let's look at Exodus here. If you're visiting this morning, let me catch you up a little bit. We're in beginning of chapter 6 here, um, and we're going we're gonna to do something a little bit different. We've been kind of reading through sections and then, and then opening them up and, and kind of diving in, seeing what God has for us. Uh, but we're going to look at part of chapter 6 and part of chapter 7, but we're going to skip a little bit of the reading, and I'll explain why as we get there. Um, well, I'll explain a little bit now. Is we want to finish at verse 13 of chapter 7. Uh, because next week, as has already been mentioned, we have our joint service for family day, and so we're going to take a break from Exodus. Uh, but then when we get back to it, we're going to begin the 10 plagues, which, which I know many of you have been talking to me uh, about. And so I wanted to kind of finish that up as we, as we take the break. So uh, the last couple of weeks, and specifically last week, the focus was on the Israelites' response, both their initial response and their subsequent response, to Moses and Aaron telling them that God was going to free them from slavery. The scripture is, is really interesting in that we can learn through the examples of people both in the positive light and in the negative light. Is sometimes we see tremendous moments of, of faith and trust in God and they challenge us to, to kind of rise to that level. And then sometimes we see through the mistakes uh, and, and lack of faith and lack of trust. Well, in this, at the end of five, we learn both of those things. When Moses and Aaron go to the Israelite people and, and tell them, God has heard your cries, and God is here to rescue you. And through Moses and Aaron, God is going to bring you up out of slavery. And their initial response, does anybody remember what it was? They fell down in worship. Nothing's happened yet. They haven't been freed from slavery yet. Their circumstances haven't changed at all. But knowing that the creator of all things has heard them, and has responded to them, 
they bow down and worship. This reminds me of uh, Psalm 8, verse 4. David says this, he says, What is man that you were mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And maybe you've had that moment where, you know, living here or visiting here, you've kind of stepped out of your hotel room or your house, and, and you've just looked around and seen the beauty and the immensity of kind of everything around us, and then you've remembered, and yet, God loves me. And perhaps you've been overwhelmed by that truth, that reminder, and maybe you don't even know how to process that. I remember one time when I was in uh, northern Ontario as a fishing guide, fit and fish just for you, Carly, uh, a fishing guide, and uh, I had this group of dentists that came, and they jumped in my boat, and off we went in the morning. And um, it was one of those kind of picturesque mornings where the water's just completely still, and you drive out to the middle of the lake, and, and they just said, whoa, whoa, can you just stop? And I'm like, well, that, there's no fish here yet. Like, we got to keep going. I said, no, no, just stop. And so we stopped, and all of a sudden, two of them stood up, and they quoted this psalm. And they just, they just had this moment of worship. I had no idea kind of who these people were. Never met them before in my lives. And they were just blown away by God's creation and the beauty all around them, and yet that God loved them. And it's the only time that I ever had in those two summers of guiding that we just sat there and we had no intention of catching fish. It was just about being in the presence of God. And so hopefully you've had that, that experience, and hopefully we've learned from kind of what Exodus says to us here but then the bad news came along with that. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say what God has called them to, that, that we're going to say, let my people go. Let the people of Israel go out from slavery that they may, may go worship me in the desert. And, and the reminder was that God had said to Moses already, you're going to go and do this, but I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's not yet going to be ready. And so it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the people had this expectation, and so did Moses and Aaron, clearly from the end of chapter 5, is that they would go before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh would just let them go, even though God had said something a little bit different. And it says that the people just kind of crumbled, and they were so upset, and they essentially even cursed Moses and Aaron, saying, what have you done? You have made our circumstances more difficult. And I had a quote from Douglas Stewart that I wanted to mention last week, but as you know, if you've been here at any length of time, I do not follow notes, though I should. And he wrote this, and I thought this is really good. God's timing only sometimes coincides with our expectations. And his idea of the hardships we need to go through only sometimes coincides with our idea of how much we can take. And this has been the privilege for me to spend time with Eric is to learn to have somebody who goes, I don't want to go through what I'm going through, but I know that God has purpose and plan in that. So I'm not going to ask to be, and, and you said it, Eric, in your letter, is not going to ask to be released from my circumstances, but to have the wisdom and the courage to face my circumstances and trust God for healing and help. That's what we need to remind ourselves of, is our circumstances don't often change when we expect them to or when we want them. How many times have we prayed for something earnestly, thinking this, is, this has got to be good, it's got to be what God wants, only for something else to happen, and, and we've been wrestling in our own minds going, God, why would you allow this to happen? This is the story of Exodus. This is why we need to read and, and learn from these people and see what has happened in their life, how we can learn from them, both in the positive and in the negative. 
But at the end of the day, as we begin chapter 6, is the point is this, and we said this every week, is God is sovereign over everything. Not just some things. God is sovereign over everything. And there's implications with that. God, why have you allowed your people to be in slavery? We're going to touch on that in a moment. Why have you allowed this circumstance that I find myself in? Why have you allowed that to happen? Or sometimes even where you see other people released from their circumstances, and yet yours continues. God, I watched you heal this person. Why haven't you healed me? And this is where it gets, where the rubber meets the road, where our, our theology should impact our actual day-to-day life and trusting that God loves me and that he cares for me and that he has plans and purposes for me, even when I don't see it. And so this is where we pick up chapter 6. Remember, the people have kind of called out cursing on Moses and Aaron. God has not saved them. Verse 1, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will be with you. Sorry, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. Pardon me, sorry, I'm struggling. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Stop there for now. God has a plan. And he's had a plan for for a very long time. And I'll actually get you to flip back to Genesis 15, uh, and we'll get there in just a moment. But God has a plan to deal with Pharaoh, and he has said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart because it's not quite time yet for you to be released from slavery. And commentators talk about this in a sense that um, God's plan is not only to liberate his people but to give consequences to the Pharaoh. Now, to this point in, in kind of biblical history, is Pharaoh is kind of the worst character from a moral standpoint and all that he's done. And so God is not only going to release his people and save them, but he's going to cause divine judgment towards this nation, towards Pharaoh, for his wickedness towards God's people. Now, remember, the history of that is that Joseph brought the Israelites in, and the Pharaoh said, yes, you can dwell here. 
And you can worship the Lord here. And, and, and he saw that as only benefit. But over the next many years, they started to get afraid. These people, they're growing too numerous. We've got we've to deal with it and enslave them. And so it's not as though God is putting this, this kind of punishment, these consequences on Pharaoh for no reason. Is There's some very specific reasons. And we're going to see that while God does harden Pharaoh's heart, there are other times that Pharaoh hardens his own heart and refuses to listen. But as God tells to Moses, right, now you're going to go and you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. For with my strong hand, he's going to send you out. From my strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. And, and later on, we're going to see in chapter 12 that actually that's exactly what they do is they drive them out of the land because they're so afraid of Yahweh. The plagues have come and things have happened and they've been like, get out and get out now. We fear your God for all of our awful ways of treating them and refusing to listen. So we'll see that in chapter 12. But it says, when God says to Moses, I am the Lord. Notice this. This is really interesting. He's reminding them again of his identity. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? I made a covenant with them. And this is where we're going to get in Genesis uh, 15. And so let, let me just flip here and we'll read this together. This is 15 verses 13 to 16. And the reason we're doing this is because sometimes God reveals things to us that when they happen, we get upset and we claim that, that, never, that we didn't know. Well, sometimes it's only that we have forgotten. And so in Genesis 15, starting in verse 13, God said this to Abram. Know for certain that your offspring, this is after he's already given a covenant to him, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. We've already talked about that, and we're going to see that in a few weeks. As for yourself, you shall go back to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here, that's Canaan, in the fourth generation. For iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So what we're seeing is God saying, I have plan and I have purpose, Abram. I've called you here to this land, but, but it's not finished yet. And some things are going to take place here, and, and the nation is going to be in slavery for over 400 years, and then I'm going to call them out. And so all I'm trying to say here is that what God's reminding Moses of uh, is that I've already explained all of this to your ancestors. This is already written down for you that you should know, that you can look back and remind yourself this, this consequence that's happened, these terrible situations that are, that are happening to us, that these are still within God's power because he's told us of this. The reason I say this is Jesus said something very similar to his followers. He said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. He's reminded us that when you follow me, the world is going to hate you. And it's going to oppose you. And you're going to go through very difficult circumstances. And remember, all of the disciples except John were killed for their faith. They were martyred for choosing to follow after Jesus in, in a broken and, and crazy world. Well, today our world is crumbling all around us. Are we going to look back and be reminded that Jesus said, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Trust in me. Put your faith there to know that your circumstances right now, that that's not the end, but I have won. 
God even says it this way, is I appeared uh, to your ancestors and I, I appeared to them as God Almighty. But then he gives them this, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known, which is simply his way of saying this, this, this personal name of Yahweh that he has given to Moses is he's saying, look, I promised all of these things, but Moses, even to you, I'm going to reveal more. In fact, he's promising that through you, Moses, God is about to use that man more than any other man in the history of the world. Why is that significant? Well, remember a few weeks back that Moses objected over and over and over and over to being used by God. And he had all kinds of reasons and excuses why he shouldn't be. And and that's going to pop up again here if if you noticed in, in verse 12. God is sovereign over not just parts, but over everything. And he has a plan. And so he says to Moses, say to these people. Now it's interesting because it's basically the same thing that he's already said several times. But we're going to read verses 6 to 8 again. And we'll have it up on the screen. But notice how many times that God personalizes what he's going to do. By saying, I will or I am. Just in these few verses. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Who has brought you out from, the, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Just in those three verses, how many times is he reminding you? Thank you, Sid. Ten. Somebody was counting. That's good. What's the point? This is not up to you, Moses. This is not up to you, Aaron. God says, I am going to do this. I think so often, and even to really kind of use an example from this morning, as this Deb said, is, is the, the hospitality side of things, there's a lot to do in that. But it's not dependent on you to do it. It's dependent on you to be faithful to what God has called you to do, and then he's going to accomplish it. Is how many times have we had a potluck where we're like, I don't know how this is going to work. And what always happens? It always works. Right? Maybe not we don't get maybe as much meat as we want, or maybe we have too many salads, or maybe we have, well, we never have too many desserts, but you know what I mean. But we can look at this and we can go, this is dependent upon me, or we can recognize that me being faithful to God, God will do what God is going to do. Because he's sovereign. I just finished uh, draft one of my paper, um, uh, Biblical Theology of Environmentalism, and one of the core things in it, which is going to this is going to be rampant in probably the rest of Scripture, is this idea that God and God alone is the sustainer of all things. Not me and not you. Now, we have been called to stewardship of of everything. But it's not, if I'm disobedient to God, it's not all going to fall apart because it's it's not dependent on me. I'm not going to be the reason that something fails and everything else crumbles around it. Now, there might be consequences, and there probably will be. For me not being faithful. But God and God alone is the sustainer of all things. And he's trying to tell Moses, look, look, we already talked about this. This isn't about you. You've complained that, well, you you don't know how to talk very good. Well, I'm going to be your mouth. 
You've complained that the people aren't going to listen. Well, I'm going to open their ears. You've complained that, you know, X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank. And he said, but I'm going to do this. And so I don't know, but maybe you're sitting in a place right now where you're saying to God, I don't know how to do this. Well, let me say to you from what Scripture's teaching here is that's okay because God does. He's at work in your situation. He's at work trying to lead you towards the right thing. And we can be faithful and we can walk through that. And we can be disobedient and walk a different direction, but God is still sovereign. And God is still going to use us in certain ways. And so I just want to remind you of that this morning. It's not up to you. It's not up to your power and your strength. It all relies under a God who is beyond powerful enough. Well, the people haven't learned that just yet. In verse 9, it says Moses does go and speak to them this way. He, he does tell them what God has said. But they do not listen because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Now again, think in your own minds. How many times in your life have you had a broken spirit and your circumstances have been so overwhelming that you don't know what to do? I think probably all of us can relate at some point and probably more often than we might want to admit. Where we see our circumstances and we go, man, I have no hope. You know, maybe it's the loss of a loved one or maybe it's the collapse of your business. Maybe it was a failed relationship or the realities of disease and pain. Well, Douglas Stewart says, optimism is often dashed by suffering, especially ongoing suffering. Faith is often diminished by hardship because emotions play a powerful part in most human thinking. And thinking can become increasingly pessimistic when any sort of pain continues unabated. That's the reality that we find ourselves in. When we have ongoing issues, ongoing pain, ongoing hurt, can be very difficult to see ahead. And I want to argue that this is the moment where it's so crucial and so important that we have something that we call the church. That we have brothers and sisters in the Lord who see our hurt, who see our pain, and will gather around us to support us in the midst of that problem. Because when I'm going through something like that, I'm not very optimistic and I'm not immediately going to worship God. I'm crying out to him, pleading, what are you doing and what have you done? And I need my brothers and sisters to come and to point me back to Jesus in that moment. The church is vital for every one of us because if people aren't faithful to that calling and don't walk in and say, hey, look, I know your circumstances are awful. I see the pain that you're in, and I don't know what God's plan is for you, but he is still with you on this journey. If we don't do that, then who's going to? We have a calling as the church. We have a calling to care for one another, or as Jesus says, to bear with one another's burdens, to help each other. And so Moses then gets told by God, okay, now notice, notice how verse 10 starts. And grammar is important here. So the Lord said to Moses, in light of the fact that the people did not listen and their spirits were crushed, he says, go to Pharaoh. Tell, them, tell him to let my people go. 
God goes, in light of the fact that you have disbelief right now, that does not change what I am about to sovereignly do. So go. Moses makes another objection, and this is one that I think all of us can relate to. The people of Israel have not listened to me. What is going to make Pharaoh listen to me? If God, if your own people don't believe that you're going to accomplish what, are you, going to, what you say you're going to do, then, then how, is, how is Pharaoh going to listen? Again, it's logical, seems reasonable, except what has God already basically revealed to Moses and, and continuing to reveal is that it's God that is in control of when the Hebrews go, not Pharaoh. Now that's difficult for us to process because in our kind of zoomed in view, we can just see, God, you should let them go out of slavery right now. That would be the most just thing. But remember, God's point is not only to release his people from slavery, but so that all nations might see that he is the one true God, more powerful than all the gods of the Egyptians, more powerful than Pharaoh, more powerful than everything. Because it's not only these people that he cares about, but the whole world. Moses makes another objection. He says, I, have, uh, I am of uncircumcised lips. Now, this probably ties back to something we looked at last week in that kind of more confusing section in, in, in chapter 4. Um, but this also ties back to that first time where he basically says, I, I, don't, I don't speak well. And God's already given him the answer to those, those problems. And so we need to be reminded that, that when God speaks, that when God says something, that what he says is true, just because it hasn't happened yet or just because it feels like God hasn't listened yet doesn't mean that he's not in the midst of doing what he's planning to do. The Lord said, notice, he doesn't even, we don't even have God's answer to the objection other than going, he gave them a charge to the people of Israel about Pharaoh, king of Egypt bring my people out of the land. So then we go to kind of verse 14, and, and we're not going to read these verses, but it's a, it's a genealogy of, of Moses, and it seems really out of place. Like the narrative has been going a certain direction, then all of a sudden there's this stop, and there's this strange genealogy for, for Moses and Aaron, and, and so kind of what are we to take from that? Well, the first thing um, that we need to be reminded of is it's weird to us because we live in a much different culture in a different time. So we got to go back and, and, and deal with people who study those kind of ancient Near East documents. And what I found out is this is a completely normal thing that throughout this story, we get to this pivotal moment of why am I going to listen to you? And the writer goes, this Moses, this is the Moses that, that we think it is. And we're going to prove that. And so Kenneth uh, Harris says this, the genealogy functions primarily to preserve the family history of Moses and Aaron as the ones through whom the Lord led Israel out of Egypt, but also the history of Aaron's sons as those who were called to priests of Israel. So there's, there's intent um, in this lineage, and, and, and maybe if you were reading kind of your own family history, and you went back, you know, 100 or 200 years, and, and you kind of saw from the roots from which they came, and you saw some very significant struggles and challenges that they had to find, you know, whatever it was, the freedom that they were seeking, and then all of a sudden there was a genealogy there, you would probably find it pretty interesting if it was your own family tree to look back and go, oh, this is really quite interesting. Actually, if you really want to go down that road, just go hang out with Jeanette for a little while. She loves the, the Irish family history stuff. 
And every time we talk about it, she's like, oh, I just learned this. Um, we're fascinated with those things when they're applicable to us. And so we read this and we go, well, this isn't that. How many of you have gotten to like places in numbers when you're like the son of, the son of, the son of, and you're kind of like, skip down. Okay, here we go. And then you get to the next thing. Is, yeah, it's a little bit dry reading in a sense, but there's reason for it. It's, it's proving very specific things. And so for this one, we have these kinds of things. There's the Moses and Aaron thing. It ties them all the way back to Levi, and that has significance when we get to Leviticus and we get to the sacrificial system. There's focus on a Canaanite woman that sneaks her way into there to prove that, oh, by the way, the Jewish people, you're not pure Jewish people. And so don't look down on other people because their lineage might be not as pure as yours because no, neither are you. Then Korah's name gets in there. And it's like, well, well, why is that significant? Well, because of Korah's lineage, he actually objects to Moses and Aaron's leadership. And he raises up people in a rebellion in the book of Numbers against them. And God has to deal with that. And so there's so many little things that pop in that we can kind of overlook and go, well, this isn't really that important. Or we can see that actually a lot of these things, they might be really nerdy, but they're really helpful for us as we want to dig deep into Scripture and to understand what God is trying to teach us and what God is trying to show us. Then we move into chapter 7. And chap verses 1 to 7 of that are basically a recap of what's happened. So kind of like there's a genealogy in the middle, let me remind you now of, of where we were. But there's two additional uh, kind of details given that are really interesting. Verse 4, there's the reminder that God will rescue his people, and it won't be because Pharaoh chose to let them go. It'll be because it's God's choice to let them go. The second thing is in verse 5, and it says that not only will Pharaoh know that I am the one true God, but that all Egyptians will know. Back to that zoomed out macro view of what God is trying to accomplish. And so I want to read verses 8 to 13 of chapter 7 here now, uh, just as we kind of conclude this morning and as we look forward to uh, the 10 plagues that are coming in the coming weeks. So this is verse 8 of chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, notice God's sovereignty, when Pharaoh says to you, not if, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff, and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. It's kind of like an interesting thing leading up to the plagues where it's like, well, why is this included in there? Again, this is all about God's sovereignty. It's all about God working. And so he says, we're going to do this miracle. And it can seem like there's kind of a standoff here. And this is actually kind of the microcosm of what's coming. Is God's, I'm going to do this miracle. Your staves are going to be thrown down. It's going to turn into a serpent. And in the narrative, it seems like, okay, that's a challenge. God has made a challenge to the Egyptians, and so they, by their secret arts, do the same. 
Now, lots of speculation comes in here going, is this kind of trickery? Was this kind of more magic? Or was this actual kind of demonic authority that they had given themselves over to? My argument is that it doesn't matter. What matters is the response to this. And the response is that Aaron's staff swallows up the Egyptian staff. Yes, Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. Yes, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But don't worry, because even though he can manipulate some things, is God is greater and God is going to win. You don't kind of see the response of this. But imagine Moses and Aaron going down, the staff goes down, miracle happens, and you're like, yeah, try that. And then they do it. And now you're back to like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen here? And then your staff goes up and swallows their staffs. God's going, you think you have control and power. But I have more. Simply put, is God is going to win. Harris writes it this way. Although the magicians were able to wield or utilize power to perform the sign, they did not have mastery or authority over it. Here, this is shown by the fact that Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. God and God alone has the authority and the mastery over every obstacle that's coming your way. And so you can trust in him. Even when other people look like they have a lot of power, like they can do crazy things, you can trust that God's authority is even more. Let's finish by going back to 6-9, where the people have broken spirits and they didn't listen. I don't know the circumstances of your life right now, but I do know that all of us are going through difficult things. You might be coming out of a very difficult thing, and right now things might be going real smoothly, or you might be in the midst of a very difficult situation. Is know that you have a church family that is here to help you. Do not turn and run away, but face those obstacles that are in front of you with the help that God provides, both with his spirit and also with his family, the church that is your family. Don't shrink back. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Even when it seems like you have nothing and no power, God's reminding you that he is in control. I want to read James 1, 2 to 4, and these are probably very familiar verses to many of you, but it gives us a good perspective of what to do with our circumstances and our trials. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, sorry, meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James reminds us that all the trials that we're going through, God is at work in the midst of those that we would mature and that we would become more like Christ. And so in this moment, if you're thinking, man, my, my trials are overwhelming, Remember that God is in the midst of working through your trials, not just for you, but for so many other people. I want to pick on Eric just one more time because what Eric has been going through is not easy at all. But his faithfulness to come on Sundays, to come on Tuesdays, to come on Fridays, to surround himself with people and to share his story with others has encouraged many of us 
And it's reminded us that God is in control and that he can accomplish miraculous things in our lives. And so just like the Hebrew people who are filled with struggles and difficulties and challenges and, and, and are crushed in spirit and have no hope, is remember that your hope does not come from your circumstances. Your hope comes in the one who holds those circumstances. And while we don't know how he's going to deal with those things, we know that he and he alone is sovereign over your life and over mine. Let's pray. God, as we read these verses and as we can maybe identify with that feeling of being overwhelmed and confused and hurt and struggling and and maybe even at the place sometimes where we go, God, I don't even know how to follow you in the midst of this. Would you remind us through your spirit and, and through your church, our family, that you love us and that you have purpose in the midst of our pain and our suffering. That you have a plan that is far bigger than just my own life. So God, give us the strength we need to trust in you even in the midst of heartache. Even when our expectations don't meet our reality. God, would you strengthen each one today. Remind them that you have won. That you are in control of all things. So God, while our circumstances may change or they may not, help us to trust you in the midst of that all the way until either Jesus comes again or we go to see you. God, thank you that we can have hope in the midst of what we face today. Go with us now. We love you. Amen. Again, just a reminder, there are... There is snacks there for us, and so please do come. If you're, if you're visiting and you want to chat, we'd love to do that. If you have questions, uh, please ask. And if you'd just like to share um, your, your whole life story, no, I'm just kidding, just what's going on and ask for prayer, please do that. We're a family that, that exists to help one another. Pray that you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you again next week for our joint family service.